Very few things sting in relationships, like the topic that we're going to talk about today. This thing is the opposite of what we expect and what we think we deserve. So what are we talking about today? In gratitude. You do something for someone. You serve them. You sacrifice for them. You raise them. You marry them. You hire them. You give things to people that you don't think they deserve. And when gratitude isn't the response, it sort of hurts. It stings a little bit. Ingratitude can be the words that are spoken. It can be the words that are not spoken. It can be the actions that are exhibited by other people or a lack of action. And we've really been on both sides of that. But here's an interesting thing about ingratitude, that the recipient is always aware that when you're in a relationship with someone and they're ungrateful, it's not a mystery to you. You are always aware. But the ungrateful person is rarely aware. And this is one of the mysteries of relationships, that you can be in a relationship and going along and thinking everything is great, and then all of a sudden someone comes along to you and says to you, I don't really feel like you appreciate me. Now I could ask how many of you have been accused of being ungrateful, but I could also ask it another way, how many of you have ever been teenagers before? That the strange thing about ingratitude or, or being accused by someone of being ungrateful is that when they come up to you and say, I don't feel like you're, I feel like you're ungrateful, the first thing we think is, no, I'm grateful. And immediately we think about the feelings of gratitude that we have. But the problem is we haven't expressed those feelings. And so there's a disconnect. And that person's feeling unappreciated, but you appreciate them. It's just sort of in secret and sort of in quiet. You don't tell anybody. And here's why this is really, really important, not just this week, but all the time for any kind of relationships that we think are important. That gratitude and ingratitude impact or influence the health of relationships. That in other words, they determine how much of you you're willing to entrust to someone else. And in case you haven't had it said to you this way, and I really didn't until I was about 25, uh, trust is the currency of relationships. Now that's not to say that all relationships are transactional in nature, but trust is the means through which relationships either grow or they deteriorate. And along with honesty, really gratitude and ingratitude um, impact the trust in relationships probably more than anything else. And so because there sometimes is a, a big disconnect between the gratitude that we feel and the ingratitude that the other person feels, this is really, really important. And today we're going to look at a story from the life of Jesus that really sort of illustrates a component of ingratitude that many times we miss. Now, if you grew, didn't grow up in church, the story that we're going to read is actually a pretty powerful story. If you don't read the Bible or you're not even so sure it's true, we're really glad that you're here. We would encourage you that you should read at least one of the gospel accounts or the accounts of Jesus' life. We have four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today's story is going to come from the gospel account of Luke. Now, Luke, at the very beginning of his account, says, I sort of sat down to create this account because I kept meeting people who knew Jesus. I kept hearing these interesting stories. I kept hearing these things, and so I wanted to put together this interesting account, this chronological account to sort of give an idea who Jesus was. So again, Luke decides to do that, and Luke knew people who knew Jesus. Luke might have even met Jesus himself. We're not exactly sure. But in this story that Luke records for us, Jesus asks a question that gets right to the heart of our issue of gratitude and ingratitude. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 17. Um, if you wanna open up the Bible app, Click the more menu option, then select events so you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses in the notes section of the chat and also on the screen as well. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11, it says this. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. So way up north is Galilee and way down south is Judea and right in the middle is Samaria. And the people who lived in Samaria were called Samaritans. 
Now, Jews and Samaritans really didn't get along all that well because the Jews thought the Samaritans weren't Jewish enough. And the Samaritans really felt that and they sort of reciprocated that back. So there was a lot of conflict between the Jews and Samaritans. But if you wanted to go from the northern part of Israel to the southern part of Israel, you had to go through Samaria. Continue on verse 12. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance. Now, leprosy was really a term in ancient times that described various skin disorders and diseases because they really couldn't differentiate between the different diseases. They didn't have the ability. Um, and there were many myths, and there still are many myths, um, really about leprosy that really can be attributed to sort of an ancient um, ignorance of, about the disease and about what actually was causing it. Um, until more recently, there really was no cure. Um, and so people back then really tried to avoid it because it was very dead. It could be deadly. It could cause a lot of pain and problems for people. Um, leprosy is something that affects your nervous system and your respiratory system, as well as your skin, something that you can actually see. Um, people who had leprosy would lose their eyesight, and many times they would have numbness in their fingers and their toes. They would uh, cause, you know, have an accident or something, hurt something, get an infection in their fingers and toes, and then it would really cause a big problem. Um, but leprosy was something that, um, in Jesus' day and age, again, people tried to avoid because there really was no cure and they didn't really completely understand it. And doesn't our current situation maybe give a little bit of light or understanding to this story specifically? Um, in these days, the infected people had to live quarantined outside the city, outside the city walls, and they sort of had to just sort of notify people when they were coming by, like ringing a bell or letting people know they were coming. It was almost like living in a prison without any walls. It was not a very good situation. They couldn't go to the temple and worship. They were basically religious um, outcasts. They just couldn't be anywhere with people. And people really thought it was a sign that God was punishing them or some sort of disfavor from God. And if you got this dreaded disease, you might live a long time, but you were living every day reminded that you don't belong and you aren't accepted. So continuing on, verse 12. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And they stood at a distance because that's really what they were required to do. That was sort of what was expected of them to do. Um, but Jesus didn't really do the same thing every time that he met somebody like this. When he would come across somebody that needed healing, many times he would just go up to the person, lay his hands on them, heal them and sort of move on. And sometimes he would do different things, but in this case, Jesus doesn't do that. He sort of just like yells back at them what, what we're going to read next in verse 14. Verse 14 says, he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And then Jesus sort of just goes into the village and sort of just ignores these guys. And sort of seems like, well, what are you doing, Jesus? Why'd you do that? There's some things going on though that we wouldn't necessarily understand that the people in Jesus' day would have understood. So let me go through a few of those. There's three things. Number one, the priests had religious and medical influence in these days. We might think they only had religious, but they actually sort of had both. Because again, the Old Testament law said that anyone with a contagious disease had to be out of the city, had to be away from people, and sort of quarantine themselves. If their disease got better and they were healed or they were cured or just went away, then maybe they could come back. But first, they had to go see the priest. And the priest would sort of say, say, ah, and he would like check them out somehow. I don't know exactly what he'd do, but he'd somehow give them a check and say, okay, you're not contagious anymore. Okay, you can re-enter society. But the problem is, in this instance, these 10 guys were supposed to go see the priest if they had been healed. They don't know if they've actually been healed yet. They've just been told to go see the priest. Number two, the priest would want to know how they were healed. Because if you were the, the priest, or just imagine that for a second, all of a sudden you have 10 guys come up to you who say they were healed of leprosy, and you'd ask them, like, well, how were you healed? And they'd say, well, we sort of yelled at Jesus, and Jesus yelled back at us, and then he told us to come here, and boom, we're here, and that's just what happened. <laughs> Number three, 
The lepers going before they were healed was an extraordinary expression of faith. That if you're one of these lepers and you start walking, you're having extraordinary faith that something is going to happen. You're, if you're one of these lepers and you're walking towards Jerusalem, you know that they're not going to let you in the city if you still have leprosy. And so you look to Jesus and look to this man who's told you, something needs to happen here. I'm putting a lot of trust in you that something's going to happen. I'm going to make this big journey and I might just have to come right back if I'm not actually healed. And so for these lepers to do what Jesus instructed them to do was really an extraordinary expression of faith. And so Jesus, again, he goes into the village, gives these instructions, and these 10 guys are sort of looking around at each other like, well, what do we do now? Like, I'm not really sure what we should do. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. That these guys, again, are making their way to the priest. And we don't know if it was a one-hour journey for them because it might have been a close nearby priest or it might have been six hours or maybe a couple days even. We don't know if they had to spend the night somewhere and they woke up and all of a sudden like, whoa, like, are you kidding me? I'm healed now. But at some point they realized they were cleansed and they were being healed. And when they realized this, this is when it sort of starts to intersect with our issue of our topic of ingratitude. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus. Now remember, there's 10 of them and they're on their way to the priest. And all of a sudden they sort of realize like, oh, something's happening to our bodies. We're being healed. We're being cleansed. We're being, you know, all that. And at that point, they just start running to the priest, right? Whatever point that was, because as soon as they can get the priest, he can check that box and they can resume their lives. They can see their families again. They can sort of re-enter society. And again, they just had their lives changed. And the quicker they can take care of this whole process with the priest, the quicker they can resume their lives, the quicker they can move on with their lives. But one of them turns around, verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Now remember, Luke investigated all these things because he wanted to sort of get to the details of the situation. And Luke found out that this man was a Samaritan. Now remember, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And the Jewish people that were following Jesus most closely would not have wanted a Samaritan to be the good guy in the story that Jesus was telling. But the Samaritan was the good guy because he went back to thank the one who enabled him to move forward in his life. That he got his life back, but he also went back to the man who helped him to be able to move forward with his life. And all of us, no matter what we've accomplished, no matter what we've done with our life, no matter how hard we've worked, no matter what difficulties we've gone through and overcome, no matter how ambitious we've been, we all have people in the rearview mirror of our lives who helped us to get to the place where we are today. And whatever level of success you have, there are people that have helped you get to that place. And there are people that have facilitated our success. And all of us, really, no matter where we are, we have people in our rearview mirror who have helped us to get to where we are and maybe helped us get there faster, or maybe get, the, get even further than we could have on our own. But this guy went back to the one who allowed him to move forward in his life. And he thanked Jesus. And then Jesus sort of asked the question that gets to the heart of this issue, that again, the intersection of gratitude and ingratitude. He says, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Now, at this point, Jesus might have had a grin on his face. It might have sort of been like one of those interesting moments, a hilarious moment in some regards, that Jesus is sort of making a joke a little bit, He's saying, well, didn't I heal 10? Is, why is it, where's the other nine? Like, where did they go? Was my miracle not strong enough? Did it not heal all of you? It just healed some of you? Like, what went wrong? What happened? And there's some people missing. There's something incomplete. There's something unfinished. 
And I think for most of us, we have the same or maybe the similar first experience with this idea when we're kids and we're with our parents or with our grandparents and we're walking along and someone offers us a piece of candy. And we start immediately like unwrapping it and start trying to eat it. But before we get too far, the adult that's with us makes us pause because they realize that something's not completed yet. That if we don't do this thing, that this isn't a complete situation, there's just something missing. And so they look at us and they ask us a question. Do you remember what the question is? They say, what do you say? And so we sort of like look around, we're a little bit unsure, and we know that there's something incomplete. We can kind of tell that from the, the situation, the chaos or the, the moment of panic in the adult's eyes. And so we think like, what am I supposed to say? And we say, well, uh, I would have preferred Skittles. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. What do you mean? And then they look at you and say, you're supposed to say, thank you. And we know that there's supposed to be some sort of an expression of gratitude to complete that when it comes to our kids. And we understand that that's part of it. This is a really big deal, especially if it's our kids. But unfortunately, those of us who are adults, we all have people that have helped us to move further faster. The people that we love, the people that we care about the most. And yet it's too easy for us to move past this idea of thanking them and expressing gratitude to them. We might feel it, but pausing long enough to actually express it. But Jesus says there's something missing. There's something incomplete about this. And as adults, we almost forget this. It's too easy for us to move forward without pausing to reflect and to say thank you. Back to Jesus. Verse 18. Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. You know that faith that you went and did what I asked you to do even before you were actually healed? That's actually what's healed you in this situation, Jesus says. And if you were to sort of read this story in isolation and out of context from itself, you might think like, well, like their response seems ungrateful. It seems like the kid who eats the candy and, and unwraps it and just sort of walks away and doesn't say thank you. Like how ungrateful can you be? You got your lives back and you don't even say thank you. But I think if we would have got the other nine guys together and asked them, are you grateful? They would have said, yeah, our hearts are full of gratitude for what Jesus did for us. But this is where we line up with them and we're very similar to them and this is where we get it wrong many times. That the other nine felt gratitude, they didn't express gratitude. And they were just sort of gonna move on with their lives and isn't that okay, isn't that normal? But Jesus say, no, like I actually healed all 10 of you, like where are the other nine? There's something missing, there's something incomplete about this situation. This brings us to a few simple ideas and principles that are really impacting every one of our relationships for the positive or for the negative. Number one, unexpressed gratitude communicates in gratitude. And this is not a neutral thing. And this is one, not only, but one of the ways to think about relationships, like a relational bank that you make with withdrawals and deposits too. And when you make withdrawals, it's really when you express ingratitude or you don't express gratitude at all. And you make a deposit in the relationship bank when you express gratitude. But the gratitude that you feel but don't express, that person that's, that's not feeling that gratitude, they experience it as something completely the opposite. They experience it as ingratitude. Number two, unexpressed gratitude is experienced as rejection. And what unexpressed gratitude communicates really is that I deserve this. Well, have you thanked your mom? What do you mean thank my mom? Like that's what moms are supposed to do. Have you thanked him? Well, like, why would I thank him? Like, that's what I pay him for. Have you, have you thanked them? Well, no, they owe it to me. Like, that's what family's supposed to do. And unexpressed gratitude is really begins to feel like rejection, even if we don't mean to. 
Because there's something I know about you and I know about me because I think this is the way that God made all of us, that our hearts gravitate toward acceptance and our hearts are repelled by rejection. That ingratitude is a subtle form of rejection that over time it sort of means that your ingratitude can really ingratitude someone right out of your heart and in your, out of your mind. You can ingratitude someone that's in your family right out of your family. And your ingratitude to the people that you love the most can actually mean that they are out of your life because your ingratitude is a subtle form of rejection. And this is why we have to do something about this. This is why it's not enough just to feel gratitude. We actually have to express gratitude. This is why we can't just think about gratitude. We actually have to do it because at some point, especially in the critical relationships of your life, regardless of your personality, regardless of if you're an introvert or extrovert, regardless of if this is something that you might normally say, well, that's not something I actually do. Regardless of that, you have to have a way that you get what's inside of you out of you and into the hearts and minds of the people that you care about most. That unexpressed gratitude is experienced as rejection in their lives. And then I want to take it one step further, and this might be something that for some of you, you don't really like and you sort of might get a little angry, but I want you to think about why does this bother you? Number three, unexpressed gratitude may indicate an inflated view of self. Because, because if it's in your heart and you can't express it, you need to ask the question, well, why? Because if you can't say thank you, if you can't actually like say that you really appreciate what someone's done for you, you need to get to the bottom of what is causing that. Because you're smart enough to know that you didn't get to where you are based just on what you have done. That in the wake of your progress are dozens of people who have helped you facilitate that progress. And there's a sense in which you owe someone. And that's even how we sort of say it. We say you owe them a debt of gratitude. And an unpaid debt of gratitude isn't complete until you express gratitude. And it's not enough to feel gratitude. We have to express it. And we're all going to express it in different ways. We're not going to all express it with the same energy or same emotion. And that's okay. But for each of us, this dynamic is being played out in our lives. The only question is, have you taken the time? Have you developed a habit? Have you paused long enough? to express gratitude? Have you dealt with your pride so that you can actually express gratitude to people? So to kind of wrap up with Jesus' question, are you going to be like the one or are you going to be like the nine? Are you going to be like the one who stopped his forward progress so that he could go back and thank the one who's helped him with that progress? Or are you going to be like the nine who they might have carried gratitude in their hearts, we don't really know, because it never really got out of them in the first place. That's why we don't know. So one last question to wrap up. Who do you take for granted right now? Who are you taking for granted? Who's somebody that you might tell your story and they might be included in your story as someone that helped you get to where you are today, but you've never taken the time to formally or officially thank them. So here's the challenge. And this is just a challenge and I'd encourage you to do it, to write three thank you notes this week. Now, I'm not God. I'm not your boss. I'm not in charge of you. So if you don't do it, no guilt. But I'd encourage you to write three thank you notes as a way to express your gratitude for what they've done for you. Because it's not enough to feel gratitude. We have to express it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, all that you've done for us. Maybe for some of us, um, we really need to look to you first as the one that we need to thank. That you are the one who's provided so much for us. And I can't speak for everybody else, but for my life, I know that without you, I would not be where I am today that you've sent people into my life in various seasons exactly at the right moment, 
that you've used other people's generosity to help me when I really couldn't help myself, that you've used other people to give me opportunities and you've used other people to teach me and to lead me. And so God, I thank you first. And God, really for all of us, I pray that you wouldn't let us just sort of move past this without pausing to think about the other people that we need to thank. Would you bring those people to mind who we need to express gratitude to? Would you help us to pause? Would you help us to stop? Would you help us to be like the one and not like the nine that would return to the ones who allowed us to make progress so that we could say thank you? God, would you stop us? Would you, would you prompt us? Would you bring those people to mind? Would you give us the discipline to express the gratitude that we feel in our hearts, but we need to communicate? And God, would you help us to start with you? Thank you so much for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.